0: Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com thrive for 20% off your first order.
1: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? Hi, welcome back to another episode of Make It Cute. I'm so happy that you're here, and I'm even happier to announce that I'm being joined by Ann Patrick. You may also know her as the book maven online. Um, we're going to drop all of her socials in the description, so no worries. I want you guys to catch up. But Bethann is joining me ahead of her release of a really exciting project she's working on called missing pages uh which will also have some like details linked but bethan i'm so happy to have you on the show
2: thank you miles i am delighted to be here
1: and bethan why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself i think that you have an impressive and really stacked resume and <laughs> i don't want to like you know Exclude anything. So just just tell us a little bit about you.
2: This is the good thing, Miles. About getting older is that someone says your resume is stacked when you've been like through every little step, and you don't care about your resume anymore. Someone else sees it and gets inspired. It's a lovely thing. So thank you. Um, I am a writer journalist, book critic, and now a podcaster, because I know we're going to talk about missing pages in a few minutes, but it's my first podcast. It's being produced and distributed and all good stuff by the podglomerate. I love them so much. And I'm really excited to be able to talk about it because it does combine my interest and experience in the book publishing industry with my Interest in making sure that things get fairer, more equitable, better, more diverse, anything you can think of. There are so many changes that need to be made in this world. And in missing pages, yes, we're going to have fun. We're going to have some things that make you laugh, but we're also going to have a lot of things that make you think. So I just wanted to mention that and uh, say my background is very strange. Um, in some ways, I came into the publishing industry probably about 25 years ago, and uh, before that, I uh, um, I had been to college and been to grad school, but I was also a military spouse. My husband was an active duty um, army officer, and so I've moved around quite a bit um, overseas as well as in the United States, and I bring that into all of the ways that I look at books and publishing as well. Uh, I have written for lots of different publications. I currently write for the LA Times frequently. I also write for the Boston Globe, the Washington Post, some other places. And I've um, written a couple of books for National Geographic. I've edited an anthology. But the other thing that I've done is to spend a lot of time online and in looking at things like how we form communities online. And one of my favorite things in the world that makes me no money whatsoever now uh, is a hashtag that I started in 2010 called Friday Reads, because I wanted to hear what everyone was reading. Actually, I believe I started it in 2009. And uh, now... People who have no idea who I am use this hashtag. Libraries use it, bookstores use it, magazines use it, and you know, I tried for a brief time to run it as a business, and it didn't work out um, particularly well. I made some mistakes. I didn't really know how to run a business, etc. But now it's just this free thing, and uh, it's out there. And I just want to mention that because it's a really delightful way. You don't have to follow me. It's a delightful way to find authors and other readers. Um, you can find it on Twitter. You can find it on Facebook. You can find it on Instagram, anywhere. It's probably on TikTok, but I don't spend a lot of time on TikTok, unlike you, Miles. So anyway, I will stop. That's, there you go. There's my background.
1: and this is why I wanted you to introduce yourself because I don't, I don't think anything that I would have said would have done that justice. Um, I mean, like you said, like, I feel like whenever you're looking at yourself introspectively, you don't necessarily think about like all these awesome accomplishments and achievements that you've done. But like from me here, my jaw is dropped, you know, it's on the floor um, because you, it sounds like you've done so many amazing things. I'm actually going to be in LA next week. So, um if you have anything coming out in the LA times i'll have to pick up a copy excellent um, but it's it's just incredible i mean i think also like one thing that you mentioned is like not only just your achievements and your successes but also where things didn't work out and i think that's super important is to you know acknowledge like yes i have had this incredible career. I've been able to do these amazing things, but it hasn't always been rosy or peachy keen or whatever you want to describe it as. So thank you so much for sharing. And then also one thing that I like to do whenever I have guests on is just kind of ask some rapid fire questions. Um, So, you know, these questions are completely random, but yeah. So are you ready for that? Okay. (laughs) Uh, So if you know, what is your Zodiac sign?
2: Virgo. So Virgo.
1: Okay, I'm a Virgo rising. I kind of got Virgo vibes. Um, so like, I love that. And, you know, the listeners, they know that they'll hear this like a little bit later after it's recorded. But also, my favorite Virgo, besides my mom, um, you know, if she listens to this, <laughs> I'd probably hear an earful if I say that someone else is my favorite Virgo. But my favorite Virgo just released an album today. Um, so here's my little Beyonce plug, go listen to her album. It's incredible. Yes. Um, it. I literally stayed up all last night uh, listening to it, and um, currently in her home state, celebrating it. I'm not in it for the purpose of celebrating. I'm here on business, but nonetheless, um, had to give that little plug. I, I mean, Bethan, what type of music do you listen to? Um,
2: well, Queen Bay, All salutes to her on her birthday. Uh, I I am very strange. Okay, uh, I have very decided musical tastes, and they are not like anyone else's. So it ranges from, uh, for instance, I just shared this somewhere else. Right now, I am deep into the catalog of this amazing singer from Africa named Fatimata Diwara. Oh, uh, I found her on uh, Tiny Desk Concerts at NPR. Oh, and she is um, singing in native languages. And I want to make sure everyone hears that that's plural from her home uh, country of Ghana. And what I find amazing about her, and this is why I want to give her a plug wherever I can, is you'll listen to a song and she'll be singing in a language, you know, you've never heard, you know nothing about it. And it is the beat is so strong and you are dancing and she's singing this song that's like basically you're the worst husband in the world don't come home anymore i'm leaving <laughs> you <laughs> and i'm like you know what um fatumata and queen bay have a lot in common um fatumata is not afraid to say the really hard stuff but also and I think I wrote this where I referred to her before. The woman can shred an electric guitar like I've never seen. She is amazing, so here she is in this beautiful, traditional Ghanaian you know like dress um very interesting, very authentic um with a beautiful head wrap, and she is just like. Taking the strings as if they, like they're nothing. It's like she has been doing this since she was two years old. I mean, I have no idea, but um, that is one thing I really love. Um, I also love very old school American folk music. Love I love it.
1: that. The Weavers, I think that's such range. <laughs>
2: It's a, you know, Pete Seeger, um, you know, of course, watching the Joni Jam at Newport, you know, that Mm -hmm. happened this week. It just, my heart grew bigger than the Grinch's after he makes his transformation. Just hearing Joni Mitchell at the end singing The Circle Game and bringing it, not just bringing it, but also like reinterpreting her own song in the moment. I I was like... I don't know how anyone could not cry listening to that, Miles. And then um, I also listened to um, a ton of stuff. Like my my uh, daughters uh, are amazed. They're like, "You like Weezer? We- what? what?"
1: Oh, that's amazing.
2: I know so it's Weezer and Green Day and the Killers um you know I don't know my my um husband is very much a blues aficionado and has taught me so much about the blues and I I'm not a big jazz person okay especially when it comes to like like, I hate piano jazz, hate it. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be open about that, but when it comes to like roots jazz and blues shouters, I am there every second of the way. So he has introduced me to Howlin' Wolf and Big Joe Turner, and um, all of these other you know creators and uh singers and um, you know, musicians. And I, I am sometimes I get a little fed up like when we've been listening for two or three hours and I'm like, I need a change, put on a Bach cantata. But uh, yeah, I'm really, I'm really into music, but in my own quirky way, Miles.
1: Oh, I, I totally resonate with that. I mean, you've named a number of artists that I also very much enjoy. It's funny. My sister, um, I have a younger sister and she either texted me or called me. She reached out to me somehow. Um, while i was traveling and she's like miles you got me into weezer like because i also like i love weezer i love that kind of like early 2000s like pop punk type of vibe um i think you know that's one of my most listened to genres but you know i think having a diverse music taste it does nothing but benefit you and i think it's just amazing to like hear how much range lies within yours and I think I've talked about my music taste on here but just as a reminder to the listeners I will listen to pretty much everything under the sun the only thing I barely dip my toes into is country which is surprising because I'm from Pennsylvania and I also live in Georgia Um, but you know it's I, I feel like that like the new wave of country I'm okay with but the old wave of country for me like from a lyrical perspective it was a little whiny um a little whiny
2: and i know that people will say country is all about storytelling and i'm like well you're telling the same story again and again i need something different and i i you know my my daughters love country because they grew up here in virginia and it, you know in the 2000s and it has just been really popular but it's not my jam at all and the other thing i did want to mention is the 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 recent uh Dave Grohl Bee Gees album.
1: Oh, yes. Oh, my um, God.
2: I incredible. so, and you know, um, rest in peace, Taylor. Um, I'm really sorry he's gone, but I'm so glad they made the the DG's album that was, uh, you know, and I didn't listen to the Bee Gees when I was a kid. That was also not my jam back then. I was just like, oh, you know, glitzy. No, ugh. but the reinterpretation by the Foo Fighters was just fabulous.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, the Foo Fighters, they are just an incredible group. Um, Mm -hmm. And then the Bee Gees are, oh my gosh, just also incredible. I think um, one of my favorite songs by them is um, How Deep Is Your Love. I love that song. I think it's incredible. I think it's timeless. So I just, you know. I think any intersection that we can have, I mean, it's just incredible.
2: I know this was supposed to be rapid fire and I probably went off on a million tangents. So get me back on track miles if you need to.
1: Oh, I mean, you're totally fine. I mean, I think this is what, and I mean, the make a cute community can like attest. I feel like these conversations are way more interesting <laughs> to listen to whenever they're like <laughs> spanning organically. So, um, And I think that's one of the things that I love about the show is just being able to kind of like talk about whatever for however long. So, but yeah, let's. I'll I'll ask you another question. Um, so you grew up in Virginia? Your they your daughters daughters or daughters grew up in
2: Virginia. I actually grew up in the Hudson Valley in New York State.
1: Okay, amazing. And I guess what's your favorite American food? And by American, like you can that's up to interpretation, but you know, I think we're going to talk about some other countries a little bit later during the show. Um, but since we're kind of on the topic of like the United States, like, you, do you have something that like you really like that's from here? Or even like something that you feel like is more so American than? <laughs> um, oh, that's
2: such a good question. I'm um, Well, first of all, um, the first thing I'm going to Answer uh, about that because I just had one. Um, I had an early lunch and I had one of the most perfect peaches. Um, you know, it's not Sounds easy incredible. to get a really good peach. And it just happens, you know, a lot everyone thinks Georgia peaches, of course, which are wonderful. But um, the eastern shore um, of Maryland is actually a place where there are a or were, I mean, fewer now, of course, but a lot of peach farms. And it's a climate that's very hospitable to peaches. Wow. So we do get great local peaches. And I just happened the other day um, at the store to find two that I sat on my counter until today. And I when I bit in and it was good, cause you know, you just don't know with a peach. You right. do not know until you bite in. And it was like juicy, sweet, shiny, not mealy at all. It was like so... And I think a peach, maybe they are not completely American, but I think of them as such an American summertime food. I think a lot about produce because my parents were like they were they were too old to be real hippies but they really did things um that a lot of people of their time and place did like they were really into recycling they were really into natural foods they were um you know and and they cared they cared about you know, buying the corn at the roadside stand instead of getting it at the refrigerated supermarket, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So when I think about American food, I think a lot about um, produce, but if I had to actually choose um, a dish, then it would be pie. It would be American pie. Um, And uh, I guess I'm giving a shout out to Don McLean, even though I'm not. Uh, (laughs) Peach pie or a cherry pie, um, you know, something, I, I mean, apple pie, yes, I know it's so American, but I, I'm thinking more of, you know, the summer soft fruits, a pie with homemade ice cream. That is like, that's that's way up there for me.
1: Oh, that's amazing. Um, absolutely incredible. I think, you know, I, I mentioned like very briefly, I've lived in Georgia, so I understand like peaches, just, when oh, they're yeah. good. They're just, they're amazing. Like, there's nothing like it. I think another fruit like that for me is, like, apricots. I feel like they're kind of <gasps> in the same family. Um, yes. And whenever you just get, like, a really ripe one, it's just – it's a completely different eating experience <laughs> versus whenever you get one that's, like, not as ripe. And it's, like, like you said, you don't know until you try it.
2: You, you really don't. And, you know, you can, you can feel it. You can, you know, put your nose up to the skin, but you're not going to know until you bite into it. And, um, y- you know, uh, <laughs> now Miles, all I can think of is call me by your name. <laughs> I, uh,
1: so I have not seen that movie, <gasps> but I, th- I think this is actually the perfect transitioning point because there was so much recent controversy with that movie yes um, and with army hammer being like a potential cannibal and now he's yes. like selling yes. timeshares in like the cayman islands or something like that <laughs> I, I i mean it's just it, it's crazy i feel like like the lifestyles of the rich and the famous is like such a crazy concept like i i don't know like how how are we okay with this <laughs> like
2: How are we okay with this? And, you know, um, as you and I discussed a little earlier, I have an obsession this week, and it sort of ties in to um, some of, you know, maybe not army Hammer precisely, but definitely Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. And that is a hashtag that came up, I believe, just yesterday. I'm laughing so hard. I can hardly, which is hashtag Prince of Pegging. And here's what I want To tell, I need to tell you a couple of things before I explain the whole story, people. So, number one, it the prince involved is Prince William of England, um, the Duke of Cambridge, and the pegging involved, people are saying. Oh my God. Oh, my stars. I looked up pegging. I'm so shocked. Please don't be shocked, people. Sex is sex. You know, people can do whatever they want consensually. And I don't care if they do it consensually with two people, 10 people, or whatever, as long as it's consensual and and I'm happy if if they are happy. So the problem here is not that Prince William is into pegging, okay, which is a specific sexual practice. The problem is, and then we could go more into just plain gossip on this, Miles. The problem is Absolutely. that um, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge decided that they were going they knew something was going to come out about this. They knew there was a leak. Um, and instead of having their, you know, household linens aired in public, they tried to promote a story about Meghan Markle that would make her look bad in order to suppress the news that Prince William was involved in this weekly um Affair and what, and this this is what what goes on behind the whole thing. I guess I I said behind.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Pun intended.
2: So so I guess probably sometime in high school or college, whenever, you know, evidently Prince William, this was reported partly from, as you mentioned, Miles Dumas' um, feed. I guess he decided this was something that he really loved. Okay, great. This is a good thing. A young man discovers, you know, what turns him on. But Duchess Kate, and this is what they're saying, um, isn't into it. That happens too, especially in a marriage, a long time marriage. And so for some reason, um, William. For, has th- this is the way they've chosen to deal with it. He has this woman who every week you know lets him come over to, <laughs> to the house for a nice session <laughs> and um again, nothing wrong with any of this um the monarchy has been having affairs for millions of years, probably not just hundreds or thousands. The problem is they tried to have this. Not leaked because they want to appear so perfect and they're willing to throw someone under the bus
1: and that's like not great, like to begin with and also as as you were going through that, I was just thinking about all the incredible sound bites that could just come from this section, <laughs> like just like words that like are normal but like can very be taken in like a horrible context with it. <laughs> i I mean honestly. If you want to get your rocks off, like, go for it. And like you said, as long as everyone involved is cool with it, fine. Like, And it could very well be, like, I think in a couple of the articles I uh, glanced over, they were saying, like, it could be that, like, Kate's, like, fine with it, like, because she's not into it. And, you know, like, she still wants him to, like, feel, like, fulfilled. So, you know, as long as it's not, like, anything emotional, like, who cares? But, yeah, like you said, it's, like, malicious to, like, I feel like that could be like a hashtag like malicious Megan like (laughs) like or something like that like malintent for Megan um
2: (laughs) exactly so
1: it's like that's where like the malicious portion comes in is like trying to like just like pivot it off to someone else and it's like I feel like if it was done more in secret or at least more elegantly people may have not put two and two together but you know I feel like they really just like dropped the ball on this one and just did not do that well.
2: (laughs) Yes, yes, exactly. And it's only going to get worse. I mean, you know, someone said to me, can you imagine someone explaining pegging to the queen?
1: (laughs) I feel like, I I mean, let's be honest. I feel like – Liz knows what pegging is.
2: You know, you know, you are right, Miles. Actually, I mean, she has been around the block. She is, you know, really at a great old age, and she has gone through a lot of wild times with a lot of different family members.
1: She knows. Absolutely, I feel like for for people to like, I feel like anything that the public knows at this point she knows. And it's like one of those things that I don't know. Like I feel like as I've talked to like people, like people who may not be like in the same, like age range as me, older, younger, I find that people know way more than they let on. Like it, it's crazy. Like I'll talk to my younger siblings and they'll say something. I'm like, how do you know about that? Like, I don't like, Information is just so widely available. So for all the people who don't know what pegging is, um, I'll save you the trouble of looking it up. Pegging is when a man or, you know, I think it usually is someone who identifies as male. Let's, let's go with that. Um, Takes it in the rear by usually someone who identifies as a woman with like a toy. Yes. And
2: and usually (laughs) with a strap on toy. Um, And I think, you know, it doesn't always have to be someone who identifies as a man. I think there are, um, you know, lesbians of many different uh, stripes, if you will, who, you know, also enjoy pegging. um, But, you know, mostly it's used in the context of a woman. using the toy and a man, you know, basically receiving, uh, the toy. And that's why it got this moniker, you know, I mean, it, that it's, that it's become something that is like a figure of fun when it's really just a sexual practice.
1: Right. It's just
2: another way of having sexual pleasure, or sexual enjoyment. And I'm going to bring another, um, recent pop cultural moment into this miles which is the recent Emma Thompson movie um good luck to you leo grand which mm-hmm. uh, much has been made of this movie um i have opinions on it we don't we can get into them or not but the larger point of the movie about you know sex work being a valid way to make a living and about our bodies being constructed to give us pleasure. These are things I I thought decades ago would have been, I don't know, widely known, taken for granted, part of our culture. But man, our Puritan streak, especially in this country, it runs so deep. And so um, people still think, Oh my goodness, a woman hiring a male sex worker.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's 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 so crazy. I feel like every I feel like as much as we're like trying to like make certain topics less taboo, like I feel like there's certain things like you said that are just like so in, embedded in some people in this society that it's just like Oh, I could never imagine that happening. It's like stick to your missionary, Karen. Then, like you know, there you go.
2: And and and, um, I don't know if you wanted to transition to missing pages now or not, Miles. But I'm going to say the, that, that, and, and we don't have to. I'm not trying to run your show for you. But what I want to say <laughs> is that even though missing pages isn't. A show about sex or sex practices or sexual pleasure. Although I'm open to it, team. I'm open to it. Uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> what I want to say is that um, breaking down different kinds of stigma is very much something that Missing Pages is about. And so I think, you know, in listening to this, somebody might be like, "What is? why is she on this show going off on this tangent about, you know, pegging or good luck to you, Leo Grant? I'm talking about these things because I think... We need in every aspect of our culture, you know, socioeconomic, um, racial, gender-based, everything, we need to just stop with the cover-ups and the lies and the trying to prevaricate about what's really going on. I think we need to be honest and open and, you know, really willing to hear other people's stories too. And so that is something that actually became a huge part of Missing Pages as I started working on it.
1: Oh, and I think that's incredibly important. I think When you have a platform, and funny enough, is I just talked about like some of the kind of trending topics in the world, like you know the overturning of Roe v. Wade on my last episode um, that came out a few weeks ago. I think it's so important when you have a platform to be able to talk about these like these topics that you know may have a stigma associated with it, but I think Mm -hmm. it's like our not our duty but like i think it's incredibly important to work on helping destigmatize and just like i guess interpolate a little bit of normalcy into these types of conversations
2: absolutely uh, you know it 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 doesn't um do anyone any good to pretend that something didn't happen, but it can do a lot of people a lot of good to look into why something happened and what might change. Sometimes the change is individual; sometimes it's communal or systemic. But you know, that's what we're talking about in this podcast: is um, you know things that sometimes. They're funny. Sometimes they're very sad. Sometimes they're uh, a little shocking. Uh, but what allowed them to happen? How can we change things so that people wind up being treated better overall?
1: Absolutely. And I think that's an incredible thing to like bring into the show. And I guess talking about missing pages what can you tell us about it? I mean, this episode may or I I think it'll be out probably before the show officially releases, which is really exciting so people can get excited for it. But I mean, what can we expect to hear?
2: Oh, it's so it's so tough. I mean, it's been first of all, I am by no means a shrinking violet. And so for me to keep quiet about this show for a year has been nothing short of a miracle. And I have, I have been so good. I didn't tell anyone the name. I didn't tell anyone anything about what it was about, who we were interviewing. I mean, the podglomerate team has no idea of not what a it's not been a burden, but this has been um a challenge, and I have risen to it, so I'm really proud of that and We have a trailer releasing next week that is going to give a lot more of the flavor. But what I can tell you is um we're calling it reopening literary cold cases, and what we mean by that is not going into say a novel and reinvestigating, you know, a murder. Like we're not going to Agatha Christie and, you know, saying, "Oh, she made a mistake here." That's not reopening literary cold cases for us.
1: Mm-hmm. What we're
2: talking about are things like scams and frauds and fiascos and mistakes that have happened in the book world, in book publishing with authors, with writers, um that sort of thing. And um, I'm sure everyone listening, you know. Listen, Ariel Nissenblatt, who is one of the best podcast goddesses out there, said 2022 is the year of the scam podcast. Okay, mm-hmm. um, and, and I—it's I, amazing because I don't think she knew about ours when she declared that, but she is absolutely right because there are a lot of things out there that are not within our control. Um, And we that's a whole other episode where we could talk about the state of the world right now. But something that is in our control is how we behave, our own actions, how we treat other people. And in Missing Pages, without telling you too much about the episodes, although I'll give a little, I'll try to sprinkle in a little fairy dust here. Um, Without telling you too much about the episodes, I can say we are trying to look into what happened, be very accurate about what happened, and then think about why this happened in book publishing. There are some specific things, you know, publishing is a very Funny industry and often very opaque. A lot of people who aren't in Manhattan don't know anything about it. You know, readers out in another place in the United States, they don't care about this or that publishing house or, you know, who someone's agent was. They want a good story, they want a great read. Um, And so we wanted to draw back the curtains, take off a few veils um, on the publishing business itself to say, you know, sometimes this kind of practice works against, you know, um, people's best interests. And so sometimes it means, for example, that someone gets accused of plagiarism And the plagiarism happened at a completely different quarter. Or sometimes it means someone scams a lot of credibility and money from other people and was able to do that because everyone's so busy looking at big names and credibility and isn't paying attention to the bottom line. Sometimes a person can publish a book that sells millions of copies and then someone makes a few inquiries and says, did this really happen? That kind of stuff goes on. And uh, we wanted to see, you know, was this valid? Did this bear looking into? And the first eight episodes of season one, I can tell you each one of them, not only held some surprises for us, even those of us who knew the stories from years ago, but we also, in looking more closely at them and in talking to people, found out that there was much more to the story, that there were things everyone should care about and look at. Um, Sometimes these were about... Uh, diversity issues in the publishing industry. Sometimes they were about um, the issue of trans people and how they're perceived in media and literature. All of these things came up and we took a deep dive. And I want to tell you one thing, Miles, I'm really proud of is.
0: Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back.
2: Uh, We've had two excellent fact checkers working on this show, and they have not really come up with errors. And I don't mean to, I'm not trying to boast. I'm not trying to overstate. But what I'm saying is we were really careful. Um, Our production team has been, um, my showrunner is Kayla Lippman. My tech producer is Jordan Aaron. Um, Our CEO and executive producer is Jeff Umbro of the Podglomerate. We have all of these other wonderful people. Um, Matt Keeley has done a lot of the writing. He's also... So in marketing with us. I just want to give them props because we all pushed on things together. If there was something one of us overlooked, another one would say, we can't use that language or let's do a little more reading on this. And it allowed us to come up with scripts and stories that bore up to fact-checking. I'm really proud of that.
1: I think that's incredible. And I mean, I I think it really resonates with me at least, like the amount of work that goes into getting a podcast out there, getting it up and running and off the ground. And I think one thing that I really appreciate, not only just from like a podcast perspective, but also like, so um, my listeners know this. I don't know if we talked about this, but I'm getting a master's in psychology. So one of the wow. huge things that- Congrats. Thank you. Um, One of the big things that I look at is research and just kind of assessing the reliability, the generalizability, and, like, the validity of, like, research. And I think it doesn't just apply to research. I think if you're putting something out there, like, having, like, high validity and having high uh, generalizability is just super important. I think what you are doing is, like, confirming for your listeners, like, I'm putting this out there, but at the same time, like... I'm making sure that I'm putting things out there that are as close to the truth as possible. Um, And I think that's going to really resonate with your listeners whenever the show goes live. And I guess kind of like talking about um, some of the really cool, interesting things within the publishing community that you mentioned. Like if you're not in Manhattan, it's very opaque. Or even if you're just not within the community, it's also opaque. I think that might be a good um, touch point to... I have some books that I read, and oh, I yes. am curious about, you know, maybe some of the some of the ways, some of the things that went on behind the scenes uh, to get these books like out there or things that were happening behind the scenes as the books got released. So I was wondering, and maybe my listeners will also enjoy this, like, um, do you mind if I ask you about a couple titles? And- I would love it. Amazing. Um, so I just read this, Really cool book. I think it's trending all over TikTok, too. Um, it's called The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. It is by Taylor Jenkins Reed. Um For the listeners who have not read it, I'll give you a quick synopsis without giving away too much. Uh, there's this woman named Evelyn Hugo who had seven husbands, right? And they are exploring the why. Um, basically, she tells her story um, throughout the book, and it also follows a young writer and maybe – you can even relate to this young writer who was like trying to get her big break. I think it was actually a journalist is the correct term, but um, who was like trying to like get her big break. She wrote some really cool um, pieces whenever she was like getting started, but this was like kind of like her first big piece. Um, and the story just kind of like details this really exuberant woman's life. Um, have, have you read it Bethan?
2: Um, I I have not yet, and I'm going to, and and one thing I want to say about Taylor Jenkins Reid, because, uh, well, several things, because I love her writing. So I believe, I'm not certain, that um, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo is a new installment in sort of her California Novels. I don't know if it's a trilogy and this is the last one or if this is a standalone, Um, but Daisy Jones and the Six and then Malibu Rising were two that were definitely um, in different eras, um, but also related as her California novels. Daisy Jones and the Six is about a rock band in the seventies and Malibu rising is about a family whose um, parents owned like a sort of a fish shack, I think in Malibu. And then what everyone wants to do with the real estate, once they've gotten older and like one person is really famous and one person is down in their life. Anyway, these groups of people that read writes about whether it's a woman with seven husbands or a rock band or a family at odds with each other this is like a, a, her amazing sweet spot and she's so versatile so i cannot wait to read evelyn hugo um I, did you love it was this a good a good read for you
1: yeah i i really enjoyed it i actually i couldn't put it down i read it in probably like 4 hours um just because it was that good i was Flying back ah, from Aruba, I and I had it with me on the plane, and I had just um, I had just finished a book when I was down in Aruba. I think it was called uh, "The Last Thing He Told Me." I've, I, the author's name is escaping me at the moment, but uh, that was also a good read. But yeah, I could not put this book down, and I think, like, I hope that there's some sort of like adaptation of it in the future. I Actually, whenever you mentioned Daisy Jones and the Six, I remembered uh, seeing something about it. And it's actually being um, turned into a TV series. Yes. And just yesterday, Cosmopolitan released an article just kind of like about like expected release dates, potential casting. So I think it's going to be, you know, really cool just to see how – this comes to life. And I think there's another author who I've read, uh, V.E. Schwab. I think her name's Victoria. Um, She she just had a, I think like a mini series on Netflix um, called The First Kill. And it's just really interesting seeing how these writers are having this like intimate, like, involvement with the production of these like series and with movie adaptations um i think her book the invisible life of addie larue is actually supposed to be converted um having a film adaptation soon uh which i'm very excited for that was an incredible book too um
2: incredible book i want to just give a shout out to that miles because i got it and i thought oh i'm not going to be into this this looks like you know some sort of romantic fantasy thing blah 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 it's not for me I, what my breath was taken away by the invisible life of Addie LaRue. I thought V.E. Schwab did such an amazing job with pulling out and describing emotions that can so often be cliched, Um, you know, the, the longing the the loss that Addie Larue goes through, the the boredom, all of these different things, it it just, I thought it was almost like Beauty and the Beast perfected.
1: I mean, I I definitely could see that like illusion. I think, um, I know, think that's like
2: he's always following her around to these crazy time periods and everything.
1: Absolutely, and I I. I completely agree. I think V.E. Schwab's storytelling in that um, book was just incredible. I was super captivated. There was even scenes, like, I, I tell my friends, um, for those of you who haven't read it, um, I'm not giving up what happened at this exact page, but I remember the exact page where I my jaw dropped and I had to put the book down for a second because I was just like, oh, did that just happen? Like, it very much enthralled you. It's page 300 for those of you wondering. Um, but <laughs> it... It it was just, like, such, like, a oh-my-gosh moment. Like, I felt, like, the same type of, like, excitement I feel like Marvel fans feel whenever they go into a movie and they see something, like, super crazy happen or, like, something that they didn't expect or something maybe that they kind of maybe alluded to coming, but it actually happened. Like, that's the type of moment I felt where I was just like, oh-my-god. Like, yes. I, I think I literally... I I remember reading this I also read that book in about a day because, um, I host like a book club, like it's a very small club. Um, and that was a book that we were reading for it and I had dropped the ball and it was like the night before the meeting and I needed to, or maybe a day or two before the meeting and I needed to send out like questions to facilitate our discussion. And I was like, well, I can't send out questions if I haven't finished the book. So I just sat down, it was a rainy day, which I think is actually a perfect day. I think it's a perfect rainy day read.
2: Oh, that's Um, true.
1: And I just remember setting down the book at page 300, literally jumping to my feet and just like having to do a lap around my apartment because I was just like, oh my God, what is happening next? Like, it was just, I, I think, you know, V. E. Schwab's, her storytelling is just absolutely mesmerizing. Um, that's definitely one of my favorite books that I've read in the past couple of years.
2: I can see why I really, you know, I read at such an alarming pace um, and the fact that I remember as much as I do about The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue is, I think, a testament to how good it is, how surprising it is and totally worth, um, well, I mean, no book is for every reader, but let me tell you, um, it's worth anyone's time, I think.
1: I completely agree. Like I think just to say that you have read it, like if you read it and you loved it, fantastic. Join my club. Um, if you read it and you didn't love it, that's still fine. But I think like yes. it is a it's an important story for people to read. Um because I feel like there was a so many parallels to like real life too. Like it was a fantasy inherently with like, you know, some of the concepts that are going through it, but also just the allusions to real life. And like you said, the emotions conveyed um, and just what it was like for her being a woman throughout all these different time periods. I think it's one of those things that it is, it's an important read um, exclusively or with not, it's not mutually exclusive to be an important read because it's still an incredible book. Like it's a, it's an important story and an incredible book and those aren't mutually exclusive so
2: exactly exactly well well said miles
1: thank you thank you um oh speaking of other books that i've read so i love lucy foley um i read her book the guest list and i thought it was absolutely incredible um and right before the show we were kind of talking about her most recent release uh the paris apartment and i just kind of wanted to talk a little bit about more about that (laughs)
2: You know, this is something and Miles I'm going to, you know, play the crone for a moment here and say, you know, this happens all the time in publishing. I see this all the time. But when a publisher gets an author who has um, you know, a good story to tell or two good stories to tell or five, um they get really excited because of course those stories sell, the books sell, people are happy. And it's not uh, Lucy Foley. Not that you're listening, but if anyone who is a big Lucy Foley fan is listening and thinks I'm wrong, I get it. But here's my two cents. So I believe her first one was called "The Hunting Party." That's yeah, and um, I that was very atmospheric. I didn't find it particularly surprising for various reasons, but I loved the atmosphere. I loved um, how she taken, there was another book, hmm, but was it by Ruth Ware who wrote Into the Woods? Um, I love a lot of Ruth Ware books, but um, Into the Woods, uh, I guessed what was going to happen really early and I liked the atmosphere, but I thought Lucy Foley took it up a notch with the hunting party, okay? So mm-hmm. bear with me. Then we have the guest list, which I loved everything about. I just loved it. It was so much fun to read. You know, I didn't feel like I was um already, you know, jaded or already knew it was going to happen. But then Miles, along came the Paris apartment. Right. And one of the problems with the Paris apartment for me was the mother. I thought mm. she was so loathsome from the beginning. I was like, I am so over, Um, you know, the, uh, the, the older women I know, and I guess I am becoming one who are really amazing and wonderful. Like um, uh, the Iris Apfels of the world are women with a lot of joy in them. Mm -hmm. And Foley, first of all, to portray an older woman, I, I know that she had you know, reasons to do this, but this woman was so joyless and so rigid and, you know, in her cashmere sweaters and her, whatever Chanel shade of red lipstick she wore. And right. I just thought, is it necessary? Because, you know, it, it just didn't seem to add to the mystery is what I'm trying to say. I, I
1: agree. Yep. Yeah, please. I, I completely agree. I think it, And it's kind of funny, because now that I'm thinking back to the guest list, I don't know, like, I'm not, you know, peeking into Lucy Foley's life, but it seems like those two books, both of the main characters kind of had issues with, like, with the mother, if that makes sense. Like, if you remember in the guest list as well, like, Jules's mother was not necessarily the the most there for, um, oh my gosh, the sister's name is escaping me. I know, Um, this is the
2: problem, this is... (laughs)
1: Yeah, like, she just wasn't the most there for her, or even for Jules. Um, So I think, like, you know, maybe let's disbar that trope, right? Like, let's maybe, like, find, like, a new way to portray this, like, strong power. Because I feel like it could have almost been, so The Seven Lives of Evelyn Hugo, I think it definitely, like, paints a picture, just reaching back, of Evelyn Hugo like I mean this is an older woman I think she's in her 70s in the book um, when she's telling her story Um, and it paints her in such a very like gorgeous timeless way and I think one thing about women in books is that you can really paint that very empowering inspirational um, figure especially with like you know someone who is a maternal figure living in this like incredible apartment um, building and all of that but like you said she was just she had nothing for me to cling on to nothing um i really just there it was like i feel like the story that they tried painting for her it was a little cliche um which after leading the after reading the guest list i felt like lucy did a really good job or fully did a really good job at avoiding the cliches natures of some of these um tropes that you see a lot in this type of writing. Um, That
2: is such a good point, Miles. That's exactly why the guest list was so good. And um, for people who enjoy, for listeners who enjoy these kinds of books, um, I just want to recommend um, another author I like very, very much in this space. And that is, um, I just want to make sure um, I get her name correct. It's um, Sarah Pierce. Who um, yeah. is also British and also writing these sort of, um, you know, like Foley, these locked room mysteries. Um, and I'm sure everyone listening is familiar with that term. But if you're not, just to say quickly, you know, it's about Being, you know, you're on an island, you're in a mansion and you can't get out, you're, you know, in a Parisian apartment block that is just so internecine, that kind of thing. That's a locked room mystery. So Sarah Pierce, her first one was the sanatorium. Her second one was the retreat. And, uh, I just loved these two. Um, they're both with a detective named Ellen Warner and, uh, the sanatorium I thought was amazing, especially because what she does is she puts people in this extraordinarily modern, crazy, sharp edged, very, um, expensive sanatorium, but it, it over took an older Swiss sanatorium, or maybe it's in the French Alps, I can't remember. But anyway, um, and then uses uh, the parts of the old sanatorium are on display in the new one. And so they form part of the mystery. So it's this fabulous juxtaposition of, you know, sort of, old Victorian style with very modern style and she just has a a great visual sense. So if you do like um, Lucy Foley, check out Sarah Pierce.
1: Absolutely. I'm always looking for additional recommendations and I'm sure the listeners also (laughs) are listening, looking for those as well. I have a couple books uh, on my docket that I need to read in the next (laughs) few weeks, but I'm definitely going to add that to my list because I feel like you can never, I, I feel like book recommendations are kind of like TV recommendations, you can never have enough because at some point you will get to it. Um, So no, I think that's incredible. And I guess like talking about the Paris apartment, like we talked about its shortcomings, but one thing that um, I also wanted to talk about, you mentioned earlier that, you know, you were kind of like born and raised in uh, the Hudson Valley and you're currently residing in Virginia, but throughout you've had some travels and- I believe when I was talking to you ahead of the show, uh, we were talking about how you spent some time in Germany. And yeah. as we know, Make It Cute is a food and cocktail, um, not centric, but like adjacent <laughs> show. <laughs> like, honestly, it's pop culture centric at this point with like the sprinkling of like food and uh, cocktail content. But I would love to kind of hear about some of your time in Germany. And I also believe that you have um, maybe a cocktail that you'd like to share with the listeners. Is that Right.
2: Um, Would. Thank you so much for asking. So a long time ago, um, my husband's first assignment was in Berlin, Germany. So we lived there for almost four years. And uh, what Berlin is just an amazing, amazing place. And I want to encourage everyone to go there. Um, If you go, you have to spend a couple of weeks because you're just never going to want to leave and you owe it to yourself to try as many different things in Berlin as possible from the incredible Hamburger Bahnhof museum, which is new, it's all modern art. And Mm -hmm. it happens to have food and beverage adjacent, the most delightful, elegant Viennese restaurant attached to it. And so you go through this huge museum of, all of these amazing exhibits that are, some are interactive, they're uh, stuff you've never seen before. And then you can comfort yourself with a beautiful plate of schnitzel and a delicious glass of Gruner Veltliner. So what could be better than that? But, you know, you also have um, all of the, 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 the I don't, I don't even know where to start. The clubs, the, the swimming, the green spaces, the the old museums, the new museums, Berlin has it all. And as we say, um, you always say once you've lived there, Ich habe noch einen Koffer in Berlin. I always keep a suitcase in Berlin. Prior I love be- that will always live there. And so the drink that I want to tell you about, well, there's, I I could tell you about a couple, but one in particular that I don't don't think a lot of people know about, I kind of refer to it as my Berliner sangria. Okay. I've Uh never heard anyone else say that.
1: No, I mean, that sounds incredible. I mean, well, so so sangria, this is going to be like more like a, a summer, like- yes a good drink right
2: definitely a summer summery kind of drink and it's traditionally served it's actually called mybola. bola and it's served in may and the reason it's served in may is that's when the young strawberries and um an herb called sweet woodruff are out mm-hmm. so mybola bola is this basically it's like Delicious, fresh, young white wine, like the first, you know, harvest. Okay, and it is flavored with strawberries and this delicious sweet woodruff. I don't even know how to explain it to you. I, where does it come from? I mean, what kind of herb is it? It's just so delicious. It gives this very fresh taste to um, the the punch, and so. If you want to, you know, you can put in maybe other fruits, but you don't need much. You just need, you know, sweet white wine, sweet woodruff, um, a little bit of sugar. And then you, of course, you want some strawberries. And what you're going to do then is first mix in a little bit of German brandy, not a ton, maybe, you know, a couple of shots, but the crowning glory of my bola is putting in, um, uh, sect wine. Um, sect is German, like champagne, prosecco, cava. You know, sparkling mm, wine sounds delicious. So it's so so delicious, so refreshing. It it like I said, it's my Berliner sangria, and I will never forget. Every May, having it at like the favorite restaurants and watering holes that we went to, like everyone makes it, and it is so local and different because of that sweet woodruff. So I highly recommend it to your
1: listeners. Oh, that sounds incredible! And also, I'm happy that you recommended it because. So the last time I was in Berlin, word to the <laughs> wise.
2: That the last time you were in Berlin, you've
1: been yeah. more than once. Uh, well, the last time I was in Berlin was also the first time I was in Berlin. Um, <laughs> and word to the wise: if you're going to go in December, dress warm. It is fucking cold. Um, oh, yeah. I I was literally like shivering in my in my boots um, the entire time. But you, just hearing you describe that and talk about it and talk about the green space and like kind of all the other things, I feel like I need to give Berlin another shot. I think I need to. You know, make another trip out, but when it's a little bit warmer, um, I think we
2: need some good wrecks for when it's a little bit warmer. Yeah,
1: absolutely, because I was in Berlin for a few days, and I mean, like you know, um, I think at that point, like COVID protocols were also changing, and you know, I'm a American citizen who did not have like an EU health pass. I just had like my Vax card, which was sufficient one day, and then the rules changed the next day, and it was oh. it was just you know not. It wasn't, I, I loved my time in Germany. I think everyone was so kind and I think they really appreciated that I at least attempted to like say some basic words in German before like hitting them with English. Um, but yeah, like, like I said, the weather just, it was raining sideways and it was like 20 yeah. degrees. Um, so word to the wise, like don't go in December. <laughs>
2: like- you no, know, Berlin is like the Seattle of Germany, I swear.
1: Oh, I, I could definitely see that. Absolutely. But now I'm going to have to make a trip back um, and I'm going to have to try this Berliner sangria. I think that sounds fantastic. And I think May, like, I, I funny enough is when I do go to Europe, I usually go, so I have been to Europe more, more than one time. Uh, so I guess now that's like the last time I was in Europe is the start of the sentence. Um, I usually go in winter because I really love uh, Christmas oh, time yeah. in Europe. I just... I usually go to Paris for, like, instead of going home for Thanksgiving, I go to Paris. And um, it's, like, my favorite tradition because that's the first week that, like, all the Christmas markets are open and, you know, everything's just decorated all cute. And then you go around and drink hot wine um, all day. I, I can drink hot wine from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. and then back to 9 a.m. again. Um, so, yes, I am going to have to do, like, a, a spring, a late spring, early summer uh, Europe trip just so I can try this out.
2: Yes. I, I, you know, and the other thing that you try along with it, and then I swear I'll stop is, um, the white asparagus Spargel because it's also in season then that's when it first. Um, so, um, white asparagus is just basically asparagus that they keep out of the sun because then it gets very, very large and tender Mm -hmm. And it's delicious. And so every restaurant, at least in Berlin, I'm sure in other parts of Germany as well, will have this whole Spargel menu where you can have it with hollandaise sauce or hollandaise sauce and a little bit of ham, or you can have it with some schnitzel and an egg or an egg and ham and hollandaise.
1: Oh, that sounds delicious. Like all of these, all these combinations just sound fantastic.
2: They really are. And it's it's really fun to be able to talk about um, a, a Berliner food a little bit. Thank you so much, Miles, for yeah, uh, you know.
1: Of course. I mean, I'm so glad that you were able to share that with us. And also for the listeners, as usual, I will put, uh, you know, the recipe in the description. It sounds like, you know, it's going to be a really special recipe that you're going to want to, like, you know, source the best ingredients for. So I think... Do it do it justice. I know I have some listeners over in Europe. So if you haven't been to Berlin in May, sounds like you need to make a trip. I know that it's July slash August. I think it'll be August when this episode's released. But whatever. Um, semantics, <laughs> right? Um <laughs> You know, I know May is a little bit away, but it, it sounds like it's totally worth it. And I just I, I can see how passionate you are about all the things that you've You know, talked about throughout the episode, like whether it's the books that you've read, the places you've been, um, the people that you've been able to meet, like working on, um, this show that you're debuting. And I'm so excited. Um, you know, I got to hear a little sneak peek of it and it, it is incredible. And I'm just so excited to, you know, see you share that with the world. I think it's going to be, it's like you said, like the scam podcast is in. (laughs) <laughs> like, Thank you. I, exactly. I, I'm, I'm very excited to, to hear about this. And I guess as we're starting to wrap up, like, is there anything that you want to leave the listeners with? Like, um, I, I feel like I like to do this with my guests. It's just like any closing thoughts. It could be advice. It could literally just be a thought. Um, but is there anything that you want to leave them with?
2: I absolutely. And it's so simple. Read more, keep reading, read more, Read books that sometimes are a little bit challenging for you. I don't mind. Of course, we all read for entertainment. Don't stop that. But every once in a while, you know, pick up some poetry that seems a little strange or pick up a big, meaty nonfiction book. Um, you know, mix it up just like with your cocktails. You know, I mean, you want different ingredients, it's variety, it's the spice of life. And that's what I want to say. Keep reading love being on this show, Miles, with you. And I can't wait for uh, our conversation to be out for your audience.
1: I am so excited for everyone to hear this as well. And then also, Bethan, I know that you go by the Book Maven on uh, Twitter, and that's kind of like your online personality, but do you have any uh, socials that you want to plug? Just like at the end of the episode, we'll throw them in the description as well.
2: It's very easy. It's at the book Maven on Twitter and Twitter is where I've been hanging out the longest. And so I have the biggest um, audience there. Um, I also am at dear book Maven on Instagram. Uh, you can find me mostly, it's easiest to find me on Facebook uh, as Bethann Patrick. And I think that's it for me in the socials right now. I am in the midst of redoing my Bethanpatrick.com website, but if you do want to contact me and you can't find me on the socials somehow, that's got a, you know, a a place for you to find me. So
1: amazing. Amazing. And Bethann, like I said, it has been such a joy having you on the show. I've really enjoyed our conversation. So I love how diverse there are. And I think the listeners are also going to enjoy it. Um, So thank you again for coming on.
2: You are welcome. Take care, Miles. I will be listening to Make It Cute because that's what we should all be doing.
1: Uh, I, you know, I'm going to plug myself. I agree, (laughs) but thank you. And to the listeners, I will see you on the next episode. Bye.